In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, if you're looking for it, if you've already found it, we're going to look at the first couple of verses. Uh, Ron's going to do it next week and the week after. I have a friend in uh, Canyon Lake who's having cataract surgery who wants me to fill in for him, so for the next two weeks. Dr. Skates will dazzle you with his theological brilliance. And he does. He, he does do that. This uh, context in the beginning of 2 Corinthians 10, if you're looking at the heading in our pew Bibles, it's about the Apostle Paul defending his ministry. I'm reading starting in verse 1, 2 Corinthians 10. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Now, here's where it gets good. Listen to these next two verses. This is top-notch stuff. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Boy, that's a juicy piece of scripture right there. And we love the word of God and the encouragement that it brings to us. So we know it's about uh, the Apostle Paul's supposedly unimpressive presence contrasted with his weighty letters. Uh, the Apostle Paul deflects this minor issue. He doesn't spend much time on saying, hey, come on, pay attention to me. I'm, I'm all that. No, he, he says, look, I'm, don't make me show my strength. He says, uh, I, I, can, I can flex my muscles in my writing but uh, don't make me show you when I get there in person. And then he changes his subject. He says, you know, it's really not about my physical appearance or my, uh, my rhetorical abilities to dazzle and impress an audience. He says, that stuff really doesn't matter. What really matters is the spiritual element behind the ministry and the message that he has. And it's certainly... All of that. So he deflects this minor issue and gets right to the point of what the matter is, which is spiritual warfare. Now, something we need to remember about uh, 2 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians, these epistles are known as the Corinthian correspondence because the church at Corinth and the Apostle Paul were writing back and forth. All we have are 1 and 2 Corinthians, which some people have thought might have been 2nd and 3rd Corinthians. We, we don't know where the first one was. Uh, we don't know. And it, it really doesn't matter because God in his providence gave us what we need. Boy, don't we have enough in 1st and 2nd Corinthians to keep us busy for a while, for the rest of our life. But we don't know. So in a way, when we're reading these epistles, it's kind of like listening to one side of a con uh, telephone conversation. You ever heard someone talking on a phone? Oh, really? They did that? You've got to be kidding. They ought to be shot. <laughs> but, 
Well, just tell them what I told you to tell them. <laughs> and you know, you know, you're hearing one side of the conversation. I could drag that on, but that's, that's enough of that. <laughs> you get the idea. You're listening to one side of a telephone conversation, and all you could do is imagine what's happening on the other side. So we know that this church had its challenges, and Corinth has been called kind of like a, a Las Vegas of the ancient Middle East. It was a, uh, on an isthmus, 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 you know, that narrow strip of land with two bodies of water. It was a, a major seaport, and you know what you get when you got sailors passing through. Pretty much the way it is now, it's, it's a, it's a uh, well, you know, and it's, it's exactly what they had. We had. No need to make a big deal out of that. We know what it is. Things have always been the same. So we take our leads from the apostle and uh, all Christian heavyweights over history in how they handled uh, outward attacks and stayed on point. Apostle Paul is very good at that. So even though we're in a fleshly state that is in our little temporary containers, you know, we think a lot about these little temporary containers that we have. We, oh, we try to preserve them as long as possible and get them to look as good as possible. And come on, folks, we're, we're just not made for a very long haul. You know, we're, we're all wearing out. We, we see it uh, daily. Every time you look in a mirror, uh, you say, man, what happened to that young person who used to? And, and, and they, it's, we're, we're on our way out. So uh, we're not warring after the flesh. It's not our physical conditioning that we have to depend on. It's, uh, it's not real, where the real battle is fought. Uh, now, the Corinthian public, they wanted a charismatic person, charismatic, not theologically, although he was certainly all that. But they wanted someone, you know, in the flesh to be an impressive speaker. You know, kind of like people wanted Barack Obama because they say, oh, he's such a great orator. You know, I, I still listen to him now. And, you know, maybe he's got the inflections and he's got a nice mellifluous tone. But, you know, I, I never hear him say anything, you know, of any substance or, or content, you know, uh, and, and I know there's been supposition and people, you know, thought that, you know, with his upbringing and everything, and oh, now he's elected president, and they thought, man, do you, I've heard people who thought he was the Antichrist. I never really thought that, but I, I think he's related, but I, I, I don't. <laughs> Might be a first cousin, <laughs> but, but, but I don't think that he himself is, is the Antichrist. He's getting a little bit too much. But see, people like speakers like that. People like Bill Clinton because he was able to woo a crowd. And uh, the Apostle Paul apparently didn't have that, that uh, charismatic presence in the flesh, but he lets them know, hey, it's not in the flesh where the battle's taking place. It's on the spiritual level. We do not war after the flesh. The weapons are not carnal, but mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. And we must remember, I told you about the correspondence, you were only hearing one side of the telephone conversation. And this is all useful information, but because there's so much here, we could drag this out for a long time. We started at the beginning of verse 3 and went all the way to the end of verse 5. We're just going to take the last line where the Apostle Paul concludes with his admonition. I see this as kind of a crescendo, a rhetorical crescendo where he's building up when he starts in, in, in uh, verse, I'm looking at the wrong chapter. That would help I look. All right, we walk not in the flesh, 
not waging war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. It's kind of like I can sense, you know, the you know the music building up. I'm, I have an imagination. I'm just, I, I, I read scripture and I see this. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Ta-da! And it's like this big thing, taking every thought captive. That's what I wanted to talk to you about this morning. By asking you, based on this scripture here, what's on your mind? Not necessarily right now, but what's on your mind most of the time? When you're laying down to go to sleep at night, some people, their minds start working. Mine works like that. I start thinking about stuff that I was doing during the day, stuff I have to do the next day. Sometimes it makes it hard for me to doze off because my mind starts working. Uh, All of us have something on our mind most of the time. All of the time. You may not think you have anything on your mind, but you do. I mean, you know, you could have a blank stare on your face and you're just looking at the corner of that armrest on that chair there and somebody said, what's on your mind? I had nothing. But actually, you're thinking about that, you know, and that's not a very deep subject. But uh, We're usually thinking about something. And uh, it's in our thought life where uh, all kinds of battles rage. We're attacked in our thought life. We, we, we really are in a spiritual warfare against an enemy who's always trying to trip us up, and he uses these little fiery darts that he shoots at us all the time, and we sometimes mistake them as sin. You get a bad thought. You have a bad dream. You, you have a, a, a bad thought about someone, and you, you know all of a sudden the devil's right there. I say, you're no good. You're no Christian. How can you call yourself a Christian when you have thoughts like that? And uh, it's, really, it's really not the way that uh, it works. Just because you're tempted. You know, Jesus was tempted in all points, like we were. Yet, he was victorious through it. And, uh, you know, if we, let me just jump ahead and just give you the, the, the main thing. If we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, what kind of Christian victorious life? would we be able to live? I'm not going to have a problem uh, with some sinful action if I don't give it some thought when it first hits me. Uh, I'm getting ahead of my notes here. I, I usually do. You know, I say that these, I, I, I would like to have an outline, but sometimes it just comes out like a like a fat man going through a barbed wire fence. You know, you get the point here and a point there. So, <laughs> there's a point here and a point there. But uh, there's a little axiom. I think it's on the second page of my notes here. Yeah. It's an old axiom of how this works, and it incorporates the principle of sowing and reaping, and it goes like this. Maybe you've heard it. If you sow a thought you reap an act. If you sow an act, you reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you reap a character. And when you sow a character, you reap a destiny. And it all starts with a thought, a little, you know, thought that comes and, and, uh, you know, just because you get these wild, crazy thoughts that come into your mind, it doesn't mean that you have to entertain them. <laughs> Sometimes people do this. Yes, sir. I'm sorry to bother you, but that microphone is 
Yes, and the reason why it's not on me is because there is no little alligator clip. Okay. Well, won't it won't it pick up on this one here? Oh, okay. I have to get closer. Okay. Well, uh, let me see if yeah, this was on before and it was very loud. Whoa. Uh, where did you say you stuck this? Yeah. Okay, let's try I need help. Let's try this. Okay, see that? Hey, by the way, I I have your medal if you remind me. Yes, it's, it's in my car. Yes, sir. God bless you. I see that hand. Yes. The sowing and reaping is uh, having to do with our thought life. And uh, if you sow a thought, you know, you get a thought and you sow it, you put some energy behind it, you will reap an act. Nobody ever acts on anything without thinking about it first, right? If you're ashamed of something you did, you thought about it first. If you know that you sinned, you thought about it first. You had a choice. You didn't have to do that. Nobody's just hapless, hopelessly condemned to, to sin. You think about it, and then you make that choice. You did it because you wanted to do it. You sow a thought, and you reap an act. If you sow an act, you reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you reap a character. If you sow a character, you reap a destiny. So that's, I don't know who said that. I, I wish I could give proper credit to the person who, who uh, originally said that, but uh, it wasn't me. I wasn't the one who uh, put that together. So we're concluding this context of the first five verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 with that last line where the Apostle Paul says, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Here, I submit to you, my brother and sister, is where the victory is won. Whether you're on the front line of spiritual warfare or just maintaining a good testimony, your thought life matters, and it matters more than you realize. So that's why we're asking you, what's on your mind? Like I said, maybe not necessarily now. Hopefully it's on the topic that we're talking about. But what's more critical is what thought patterns do we allow in our everyday lives? You know, we're not in a battle like the Apostle Paul was, but we do fight against all kinds of unbelief. You know, I almost wanted to do another thing on looking at the birds. I watched a special on woodpeckers, and you wouldn't believe how fantastically amazing they are. A whole hour on pecker woods. There's over 250 different kinds. They're amazing. Well, you can tell it's on my mind. I'm, I'm thinking about the birds. I'm, I'm impressed with, do you know that they have cushioned brains that when they repeatedly bang their head against a, a hard wooden bark of a tree, their brains don't get jarred out of whack? 
Isn't that amazing how evolution just made that happen? <laughs> Isn't that pathetic how people will believe that? See, this is the result of their hapless, miserable thought life of deleting God out of everything. The Apostle Paul saying, you do the exact opposite. Bring every thought into captivity, the obedience of Christ. That's where the victory is. That's what I would recommend. Rather than just letting it go and letting it become uh, uh, victimized by secular thought. And by the way, you're seeing how we're making fun of evolution here. I just want to let you know, it takes more faith to believe that Tommy rot than it does to believe in the beginning God created. I still think of what Ron kept on bringing up in his study on the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty. Man, that's good stuff. That brings such comfort to my soul. He's in control. And I have comfort in my soul because of that. So I'm asking you what's on your mind. And I hope that this is something, I hope that this lesson has a shelf life that Tuesday afternoon, when you are thinking random thoughts, and these rogue random thoughts enter into your thought process, and you begin to entertain things that you shouldn't be entertaining, or things that are bothering you. And uh, it, it, it's amazing how fast we will find ourselves in a spiritual warfare with the enemy of our soul, who will be whispering to us and saying, you're no good. How can you be thinking thoughts like that? And, and you may not have even done anything. And you're not planning on doing anything. But just because he, he shoots those little thoughts into your mind, you think that, oh, I'm so horrible. I'm so bad. Well, you, okay, well, you are bad. You, you're horrible, but not that bad. I mean, you don't have to act on it. You don't have to carry out those things. You don't have to sow that thought and eventually reap an act. So, what's on your mind? I want you to think about it. I hope the Lord brings it to your uh, memory when you are attacked by something, and you will take the force that's in this verse and bring every thought into, into the captivity of the obedience of Christ. Man, what kind of a life of victory is available for us to live if we do that? And you can do that. It's not like you say, well, I, I, I can't. I'm just a victim to my own thoughts. Well, not as a Christian, you're not. You know, after examining this verse, this verse 5 specifically, in about five different versions, there are slight variations in the first part of verse 5, you know, where he says, uh, we destroy arguments and every lofty argument, every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought. There's slight variation in those first two things. But the third thing that we have translated here, and take every thought captive, all the translations translate that the exact same way. And that's good as far as, I mean, if you really want to know, you know, without knowing Greek, without giving you a Greek lesson, which I'm not able to do, but if you, if you want to know, when, when five or six translations translate one line the exact same way, we know that we're on fairly stable ground and we can understand. That's exactly what he was talking about. Taking every thought captive to obey Christ. How are we doing so far? Does anybody have any questions about anything? Anybody want to share any thoughts? <laughs> What's on your mind? Yes, Colonel. How do you um, channel your thoughts and uh, not letting them wander for you? I'll be driving the car, and you should be concentrating on driving. 
but my thoughts are wandering. Now, if they invite that person across that solid white line, he's not supposed to do that until it's stopped. Uh, one of those apartment complexes built right up against the expressway. <laughs> I'll be thinking about these things all the time as I'm driving. The, you know, the thoughts are just wandering around. It's very difficult to concentrate on one thing. Join a crowd. It's, <laughs> I think everybody has that uh, wandering thinking. What's really bad is after prayer, if you're thinking about the individual you're praying for, if you're done with your prayer, then I can't fall asleep because I'm thinking about all these individuals that I prayed for. <laughs> <laughs> and I lay awake and I'm like, this is ridiculous. It's not supposed to be this way. Yeah. Well, maybe the Lord wants you to keep praying for him. I mean, that's, that's, that's one thing that you can do is, uh, I, I mean, if you can't get them off your mind, and uh, if, if we look at the Lord being in control of everything, and he's, he's dominating your thoughts, and you can't get these people off your mind, uh, actually, that's not a bad way of, uh, of, of putting this verse into practice. I mean, you're bringing every thought into the obedience of Christ, and the Lord would want us to pray for those people, especially people that he lays on our heart. So get after it and enjoy it. And, and as far as being distracted when you're driving, that's, that's I think it's normal. I, I think we're all distracted by, by things. And you know, sometimes we're distracted, you know, we're driving, and we're distracted by someone else who's crossing the line coming towards us. That's something you need to be distracted about. I mean, it's, you need to pay attention. You could be a great driver, but we have no power over the uh, uh, bad driving habits of other people. So, you know, it's, boy, you talk about living by faith and walking by faith. I mean, it's amazing. We made it here this morning, you know, with all the potential things that could have happened on the way to church. I mean, I drive 28 miles to, to be here. There's all kinds of things that, that could happen on the way to church. And there's all kinds of things that could happen to you. And, uh, you know, we kind of take it for granted. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. I made it. I mean, you know, uh, several of our people just made it back from Israel. What's that, Bill? A 12-hour flight one way? 12 hours, you were... Once you get to New York. And then you got to get out of there as soon as possible to get back here. So, so uh, well, we take a lot for granted. And, all right, so getting back on our thought life, the things that we, we think about, uh, it's the bad things that I want to tell you to take control of, to uh, not let these bad things molest you or to bother you, or to make you think that you're somewhat less than anyone else. So all of these uh, translations, they take this taking into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ the same way, and that is significant from a translative standpoint. This is where our, our battles begin and where they're subsequently won. So think about what you think about. Now, thinking is difficult. We don't like to think. You remember when you were in school, you had to think? We didn't like that. I'm lazy. But thinking about thinking is even more difficult because we're, you know, we're having to get into this gray area of, of what we're thinking about, and it, it, it becomes very uh, convoluted and, and, and complicated. You know, why am I thinking about stuff like this? And I'm just saying along with the Apostle Paul, I mean, I'm just hammering on this, on this last part of verse 5, take every thought captive. You control it. These thoughts don't control you. You control them. 
You don't have to just say, oh, well, this is just what I'm thinking about. Now, there are wandering thoughts that are a result of our appetite. Uh, and now this might get personal and we don't want to offend anybody, but well, here goes. <laughs> the things that we watch on TV will greatly affect our thought life. And uh, I understand that men and women are different. I've realized that after 45 years of marriage. My wife is applauding that. Yes, men and women are different. I know that. And just because a man identifies as a woman doesn't make him a woman. <laughs> no, men and women are different. And we're accosted, molested by different thought processes. With men, it might be one thing. With women, it might be something else. But if you've ever wondered, how is it, why is it I'm always bothered by these same type of things? You might want to consider what you're feeding on. Because what you feed on is what's going to give you food for thought. What you feed on. What you think about. Uh, you know, there's an interesting uh, passage. Everything's interesting in the Bible. But in Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is talking about the uh, first five verses. He says, if ye thee, or since ye've been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. And uh, he says, mortify. The old King James says, mortify, which means put to death those things which are bothering you, the things which are causing evil thoughts and temptations. Put them to death. How do you kill stuff like that? I'm going to tell you. You starve it out. You starve it to death. If you don't feed it, it won't grow. Now, now you know, and I know, if we're feeding on something that's feeding the wrong side of our nature. Right then, we make a choice. Am I going to continue to feed on this, or am I going to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? That's, that's our choice. I said it's going to get personal. That's as, that's as personal as it's going to get. I mean, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, and how could we not be? We know what thoughts we entertain. And, you know, we, even though this study can get intensely personal, this is where we leave off. It's not our objective to reveal your most innermost thoughts. But you better deal with them. Because it's your problem. But God has no problem with your problem. Oh, it's so big. I don't know that I can handle it. But God can. Again, I'm jumping ahead of my notes, so I might mention this again. We love the Lord's Prayer. We say it all the time. We say it sometimes almost in a semi-comatose state. We don't even know what we're saying. But the lines in that Lord's Prayer are so powerful, and especially the one about lead me not into temptation. You know, when you're feeling these, these evil thoughts come, and you want to take every thought captive, all you need to do is lift that one line out of the Lord's Prayer. And I would, I would recommend using the translation of both John Chrysostom and John Calvin, who don't translate it, you know, Lord, lead me not into temptation. But the way they translate it is that I might not be tempted, deliver me from the evil one. This has such power in the midst of your spiritual turmoil. You will control your thoughts. That evil thought, that evil desire, has to go. It'll come back eventually from a different angle, 
But it has to go. You can get it gone right then by praying. Oh, Lord, that I might not be tempted. Deliver me from the evil one. Before you're finished saying, deliver me from the evil one, that evil thought and the source of it is gone. I told you, it will come back, but at least you get rid of it temporarily. And you realize, man, man, I feel so clean. I feel like I'm, the sun is shining on me. I feel the grace of God. Yeah, it'll come back. You'll, you'll be accosted again. So, we're not the Apostle Paul warring against pagan forces in ancient Corinth, but we all have struggles. And this phrase, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, is how we destroy human and satanic wisdom and are rescued from how this works and how forces like this work inside of us. Now, I didn't say that. I, I, I lifted that from a commentary. And I'm going to read it again, because I wish I could talk like that, but I, I can't. Listen to what it says. This phrase, bringing every thought, is how we destroy human and satanic wisdom, which, by the way, in our culture and society is what we're swimming in, how we destroy human and satanic wisdom and are rescued from how this works and how forces like this work inside of us. One more part of that quote. Christian thinking rescues us from the damning lies that enslave us. Unquote. So this is the personal, uh, very intensely personal, and this is the victory that the Lord has purchased for us. And I'm just going to tell you, you don't, you, you don't have to be victimized by a, uh, uh, an evil thought life. Now chances are, this is not a big problem for you. Uh, I have no idea what you're going through. I know when I was younger, I had more problems with things like this, and I, and I had to pray through and, and, and lift that line. From, Lord, lead me not into temptation. It's amazing how just you sincerely praying that brings such victory and relief from that temptation. And eventually it comes back, and a lot of times it depends on what you're feeding on, what you listen to, what you watch. And, you know, you could just be driving down the road and see some billboard. And, I mean, you know, right now there's suggestive stuff everywhere that uh, is appealing to the wrong side of your nature. And what are you going to do? Uh, you're just going to blindly say, uh, no, you're going to take every thought captive. You take it captive. You control it to the obedience of Christ. I'm almost finished. Yeah. So this process will not happen unless you make it happen. Uh, bad thoughts just don't go away. Speaking of birds, temptations have been... <laughs> I got this thing about birds, man. I, I want to come back and bring a lesson on woodpeckers. Amazing. You know, I... I have spiritual glory spells when I'm watching this. I have a smile and I say, glory to God. Lord, you're so amazing. What you put in that bird. I see the glory of God. I'm kind of a Jesus freak. I think some of you are too. You, just, you see the glory of God in everything. And yet there's other people that don't see the glory of God in anything. And we pity them. 
It's much better to be on the glory side where we see God's glory in everything, especially in birds. But speaking of birds, temptations have been likened to birds flying over your head. You really can't stop birds from flying over your head. You can't stop evil thoughts. They're going to come. We have an enemy of our soul. Who's, he knows what you like. He knows how you like it. And he knows where you're weak. And he'll attack you there. So like birds that fly over your head, you really can't stop them. But you can't stop those birds from making a nest in your hair. You can stop that. If you don't, but, well, then you're going to have nests in your hair. And, and that, yes, that too. Yes. Yes, you will. Thank you for bringing, that's right, you'll, you'll bird nest and guano in your hair. It's, imagine how hard that'll be to, to get out. But you don't have to put up with that. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm thinking about my, my dear departed mother. And as uh, my brother and I were growing up, uh, she would many times point out that she could see the devil's horns growing out of our head when our, with our thoughts and our deeds. And she said, oh, can, the, the devil is sitting right on your shoulder right now. Are you going to listen to him? Huh. And so she made it very uh, graphic. graphic. The little boy could understand it. Yeah. Horns? No, I haven't got any horns, Mama. Yeah. You don't have it. Yeah, but you're, yeah. Uh, you're going there. Don't let the devil get a hold of it. Yes. Thank God for such a precious mother that would, yeah. that would put stuff like that. You know, there's, I'm sure there's some psychiatric school somewhere that would say, well, that's why you're so warped, because your mother put that on you. But that's, no, that's why you're such a good man, because you had a mother like that. I had a mother like that. You know, we had a, uh, we still have a, a niece who, uh, it's amazing how our inner depravity comes out so, so quick. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about when, uh, when Stephanie, when she, when she was lying, and <laughs> it's, it's amazing how sometimes we counter their lying with lies of our own. And uh, I remember this, you know, that uh, from whether it was my mother or some other godly influence, they said, you know, when you lie, there'll be a black speck on your tongue. And uh, so our little niece, we, we knew that she was lying. And uh, we said, now, you know, when you lie, there's going to be a black speck on your tongue. We said, stick your tongue out. And she said, that's when I fell. So, <laughs> so she was already making up a reason <laughs> for the black spot that wasn't even there. But it just, it just are depraved. We just have an, uh, an evil fallen bent that we're constantly fighting against. But uh, like birds that fly over our head, we don't have to let them make nests in our hair. And along with everything else that goes with those bird nests in our hair. So... Once you do let them make nets, well, then you're going to have more problem with thoughts. So what we watch on TV, conversations we have with people, all contribute to our thoughts. And if we will honestly take hold of these and bring them into captivity, we will get the victory. And as I already said, and I'll say it one more time, boy, there is victory in just lifting that one line from the Lord's Prayer. Lord, that I might not be tempted, deliver me from the evil one. You don't have to say the whole prayer, just that one line. In that time when those thoughts 
You're taking control. You don't have to put up with that. You can get the victory over those things. Isn't that good news? Don't you like the way the Apostle Paul puts it? You can do this. We have some time for some questions. Yes. Right, that's Philippians 4, 8. Is that what you're referring to? Yes. Yes, whatsoever things are good, just, pure. And so it's the type of things we think about. Yes. And so if, if we're doing that, we don't have room for all those other Absolutely. How do we do it? <laughs> you, you do it. You think on those things that are good. By the way, if, if, if we're ever having a problem thinking about the good things, just pray, Lord, help me to think on those things that are good and just and pure. And if you read scripture daily, your mind will be filled with things that are good and just and pure and righteous and holy. And everything else from every other outer stimuli around us is going to be negative and carnal and sinful. Only the Word of God, only the inspired Word of God sets us straight and balances us. Because everything else is going to get you out of whack and out of balance. Ron, did you have a question? I hope you're not going to stump me. <laughs> no, I was uh, a thought that I hope it's helpful. Um, others. Uh, most of my bad thoughts are about people, or you know. And I'll give you a concrete example. Every Wednesday and Thursday, we have an I have an early morning meeting here at the church. I go from there to the walk. Sounds wild here. So I drive up Avenue E and up maybe about four blocks, there's a billboard and it says, it's a picture of a Hispanic young man. He says, My name is Carlos Valdez or something like that. And I'm an atheist and I vote. Right. Right. And my first reaction was, You idiot. <laughs> because you're an atheist and I probably know who you're voting for. Mm -hmm. Then I thought, wait a minute, um, I didn't uh, think, take that thought captive to Christ, uh. but I did. I thought, wait a minute, he is made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. Therefore, he is worthy of my respect, my love, uh, even my protection from room to tomb. Therefore, I cannot think badly of him. So, I, every Wednesday and Thursday, I pray for him. That God would regenerate his heart. I feel a whole lot better about it, and I, I hope someday I meet him in heaven. <laughs> I've seen that same billboard, and I have not had the same thoughts as you. <laughs> I have not prayed for him yet, but I want to now. About your one-sided phone call, yeah. this has nothing to do with what you're teaching us. But it is a funny one-sided phone call that I happen to be a part of. Uh, some of you know who Robert Dolnig is in our church, a young man. He was in my youth group when I was youth minister here. He grew up, played football at the University of Texas. Now he's probably the top, one of the top ranch salesmen in Texas. So when I came back to First Pres, Robert says, hey, Ron, anytime you want UT tickets, I can, as a former player, I can get you. So every once in a while, he gets me tickets. So one day he said, well, I got your tickets. Come by my office, pick them up. So I drove his office over in Uber office, and um, his office looks like the Robert I knew when he was in seventh grade. <laughs> um, but he's on a phone call, and he's going, 
well, you've only owned the ranch two weeks, and you know you sell it, you're going to lose tens of thousands of dollars. But your little boy wants to keep the tractor, and it goes on and on. I'm like, and he's looking at me going. Finally, he hangs up and he turns to me and he goes, Tony Parker. Huh. I just sold him a ranch two weeks ago. Now he decided he doesn't like it and he wants to get rid of it. And well, I know. Yeah. This little boy liked the tractor that came with yeah. him. I just thought that was the weirdest one sided phone call. If you're Tony Parker, you can. They're, they're out there. That's right. And there's. And if any of you know Tony, don't tell him I told this. <laughs> I don't know Tony, so there's. <laughs> you know, getting back to that. Right. Getting back to that uh, sad atheist who uh, had the boldness to put his picture on that billboard and brag about his his atheism. Uh, of all the feelings that we could have towards that person, pity is probably the most emotional thing. Uh, what kind of life does an atheist lead? I don't know how people can be an atheist, really. I, 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 just, I just can't imagine not having a living, vibrant, personal relationship with the Lord that I could pray to him at any time and, and to thank him. I, I thank God all day long for things. From the time I wake up to the time I lay my head down, I'm thanking God for all the ways that he's blessed me. What is an atheist? do when he feels thankful for something. He has no place to go. I don't think there are any atheists. I think they're agnostic. Every agnostic I know is humble. Yeah. I just don't know. Every atheist I know is a cocky. Yeah. They're in rebellion against God. I mean, you don't put your face up on a billboard and say, I don't believe in unicorns. If yeah. I yeah. If, they, if you don't believe in something, you don't make an issue. Yeah. 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 And it takes a lot more faith to be an atheist. Yes, it does. I mean, I'm a former scientist. Science is all about just following the evidence wherever it takes you. Right. There's no way you can look at the complexity of the world. Absolutely not. And the, even the secular computer models now show us that there's not been enough time in the history of the universe to create even one cell, one cell as a Micro universe inside of something. Yeah. And there's just no way billions of species of animals and plants could be created with it's lame. a woodpecker, you know, with a yeah. cushioned brain. Yeah. Um, yep. It's, uh, it's, it's sad, for sure. Sad, and it's unfortunate. And you know, when you, when you mention agnostics, agnostic means they can't know. Agnostic means they, they can't know. And uh, well, if they can't know, how can they say that they know? They're, 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 their own self-declaration of themselves says, I really can't know, but I'm telling you, I can't know. It's just a rebellion against God. They want, I, I, I think it was uh, Aldous Huxley, those of you who are familiar with uh, Darwin and his bulldog, 
people who would fight and contend for stuff like this. He was one guy that was honest enough to say, you know, the only reason why we're atheists and we believe in evolution is because if we believe in the, the God of creation, it would interfere with our sexual mores. He was just honest enough to say, we just want to live like animals and fulfill our baser instincts when we want to. Actually, we're worse than animals. I mean, depraved humans act worse than animals. And it's, it's, it's sad because the Lord created us to be something more. And throughout the scriptures, you know, we come to a church like this and we hear inspired scripture week after week, sometimes two or three times. You come to Sunday school, go to a service, you hear something else, line upon line, precept upon precept, all these glorious things. Boy, the Lord is on our side and he helps us to live this life of victory if this is what we want to do. Okay, for the next two weeks, Dr. Skates will be teaching and informing you. And Lord willing, after that, we'll see what we do after that. Any other questions before we wrap it up? Our time is over. Yes, Tom? Um, I forgot a prayer. Okay.